to uh, through chapter 3, because the next couple weeks we're getting into, um, we're, we'll be talking about the coming, the coming, the, the parasites, and that's where we're going to get focused into, but notice that what Paul discusses with them concerning the parasites is that it comes towards the end, the coming that he talks about comes toward the end of, of the verse. And there's some real reasons why. And we're going to get into that tonight. So let's just go ahead and get into the word. It says in verse 17, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once. And yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of exalt, exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could not endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker, in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. <coughs> Excuse me. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. Nothing like prophesying, huh? So it came to pass, as you know, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live, if you stand firm, in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith? Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound and for Carol to be seated. No, no. And may the Lord cause you to increase. <laughs> increase and abound in love one for another for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Wow. It's a lot of passage, but we're going to cover it tonight, even if it takes three or four hours. Amen? Okay. Now, what I want you to do right from the very beginning is remember what we went over in the past couple of sessions as far as the introduction. You remember the storming of the house of Jason, and as a result, Jason is held on a bail bond to make sure that Paul doesn't open his mouth again. Paul can't return now to Thessalonica. 
And remember when Paul escapes to Athens, the people are left behind in a fire of persecution. They are hearing the words that, hey, you know, he's gone, man. You'll never see him again. You're left with all the trouble. And he never, well, let's face it, he never really cared for you anyways. That's why he split and left town. And what Paul has done here is he has written what he has written so far, vehemently denying that altogether. But now look at verse 17 there, and he really gets down to it. What, what he does is he sort of claws his way out, and he says, you're, you're saying that I didn't care about you during the days before Timothy came and told me the news. Guys, I was, I was nearly demented. Like he said, I was going through such spiritual turmoil over you guys. And notice verse 17. It says in there, taken away. Another version might say torn away. Some of you might remember the word bereft. Bereft. It's a word that we don't often use today. It simply means having been orphaned. Having been orphaned. It is as if I, you know, lost my parents. He's switching pictures here is what he's doing. He's, he's been talking about himself as a parent, and now he's talking about himself as a child that has suddenly been orphaned. He's trying to, to, to give them the, the deep workings that are going on in his own spirit. You, you have in the word there as well a sense of, of desolation. He says, we've been parted, but guys, I, I've never forgotten you. I mean, he's like a little child, in, you know, who's, who's lost his parents, and he's wondering if he's ever going to see them again. That's how he feels. He says, I long to see you. And, and it says, all the more eager to see you with great desire, face to face. That word great desire is translated elsewhere in Scripture as lust. How about that? Because the word lust is not always a bad word, especially when it comes to a large pepperoni and sausage and mushroom pizza. Just saying. He said, I am lusting after you. That is, you are in my thoughts all the time. I'm, 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 I'm grieving to get back to you. That's, that's how strong it is. You remember in James chapter 4, it says that the Holy Spirit, the word there is that he lusts after us. That's, it's that great desire, a burning passion. That's how God loves us and wants us. That is inside of Paul now, and he's, it's how he feels about these converts. The expression there that says, more eager in verse 18, it is to be understood as speed and diligence. Speed and diligence. It's a an eagerness that, that makes for, well, quick and, and serious efforts. He's saying that if I could get back to you, I'd be on the next boat out of here, trust me. And that's the idea. With everything inside of me, I want to be with you. And I'll do everything I can to be there as fast as I can. Now, in, in verse 8 of chapter 3, it's one of those, I call it an outstanding verse, that comes in this idea. 
verse 8, he says, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. He said, we'll live. We'll, we'll make it if you stand firm in the Lord. That's his feeling towards these people. But now the whole issue that gives Paul this, this, this concern, this anxiety, is their faith. Notice in chapter 3 and verse 2 here. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. And then take a look at verse 5. It says, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. <coughs> Excuse me, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. In verse 6, he talks about, you know, he speaks with the, the good news about your faith. But in verse 7, he says, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. Take a look at verse 10. It says, As we might, as, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So the whole issue in this chapter in faith, in, in fact, basically it underlines it through the whole epistle here, is their faith. You see, their faith is going to be tried. He said in this, in, in verse 4 of chapter 3, he said, for indeed when, you were with, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And it came to pass, as you know. What's he saying? We weren't disappointed, now were we? The, the, we knew it was coming. Uh, it's the last two verses of Thessalonians 2, and then you'll see it's 3, colon 1. It's okay. You've interrupted my message to try to cite a wrong in my life when I come out victorious every time. Yeah, all right. No, feel free to correct me anytime. I understand. Trust me, my parents did it all my life, so I'm used to it. But I'll say it again. They weren't disappointed. Faith is going to be tried. And he assures them that it's going to be tried. In today's world, and, and I'll say this, certainly in the atmosphere of today's world, I believe we need to really hear what Paul was saying. He absolutely assures them that the world, and the religious world in particular, is going to hate them. Yeah. And there is going to be affliction. Notice verse 3. So that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Destined for affliction. Oh, hallelujah. That is destined trouble coming from the world, and specifically from the religious world. Destined, that, that's a very, very strong word. Back in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, where Jesus talks about a city that's set on a hill, remember that? Okay, the word there 
set on a hill. Set, a city set is the same word in that the Greek language uses right here in destined. It's the same word. A city has been set on a hill. The Greek word is the same. So how can a city be set on a hill? It was planned by the architect. It was placed there specifically to pattern and plan by the builder. So I want you to hear what Paul is saying, that the architect of all life planned it this way, and he has made it that you are now set, destined for affliction. Do I hear an amen? Okay, I didn't think so. Have you ever heard something like that preached before? You are destined. You are destined for affliction. Don't that get you excited? I didn't think so. Paul uses the same word in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 17 when he says, and you'll remember this because we kind of went over it, that he had appointed, and, and remember at this point, he's in jail at this time. He was appointed, he says, for this. And, and really, uh, just delving into a little bit of history there, I think, I, I think he, he, he may have been stealing this from the bulletin board in the barracks because the soldiers that came to guard him in the jail would, first of all, go to that bulletin board in the barracks to see where they had been appointed for the day of that, of their, for the duty of their day. And that's the word destined. You're destined for this duty this day. Paul says, I, I used it in jail and in chains. And, and, and I understand that they were appointed to guard me. I was appointed to be there by the one who makes all the schedules. So he looked upon trouble as not a trouble. He was appointed there. That's the key. Now, faith, and I want you to put that on hold for just a second, but as much as I, I know you might not get excited about this, I'm, I'm going to point it out. Faith must be tried, period. Faith must be tried. The trying of faith is an appointed, a destined ingredient of the gospel. Look at it like this. I mean, we talked about this in our last session. Faith, as defined in Scripture, is my rest in what Jesus has accomplished for me at the cross. And my response to that word that comes from God to me from Jesus Christ is, is rest and then response to it. Now I'm going to ask you an honest question. How much of that is feeling? And how much of that is rigid fact that will not be moved? And, and, and being human, we get that all mixed up. And I, I couldn't tell you how, how much I am feeling now is true faith based on the fact that God's word that is immovable in life and how much of that is the fizzies that will pass away as soon as the sun rises in the morning? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can I say this? First of all, there is nothing wrong with feeling good 
as long as you do not mistake your feelings for faith. Hello? There's nothing wrong with feeling good as long as you don't mistake it for feelings of faith. So here's my point. God has destined us. He has appointed us. It is in his blueprint that that faith comes under fire so that you might know what he already knows. What is faith? And what passes away so quickly? Faith has got to be tried. Now, please, please, please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I am not saying that a Christian must sit down and expect a miserable, negative life and wander around saying, I've got my cross to bear. No. I am saying the world and the world spirit, if, if you like, the world attitude, I think, is a better way of saying it. The world approach to life will never like you. Having entered the kingdom of God, you've made yourself an enemy of the world's spirit. And you have made yourself an enemy in the powers of darkness. So, therefore, the pressure is going to be on you. Uh, you know, I, might, I, can, I can ask God, why, why did you do it that way? He's, 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 and he's using those negatives for positives. He's using those negatives for positives. He's using them to try my faith. That's why James says to welcome trials as brothers. What does it say? Count it all joy when you fall into various or many trials. Because here it is working positivity in life. Just a minute. What's Paul getting so upset about? I mean, if they're really born again, right? If they really had this living faith, they're going to make it anyway. Is Paul getting, you know, kind of kind of carnal here and, and worrying and fretting over these converts? Well, you know, all this anxiety, Paul. Why, why, didn't, why didn't he just say, God bless them, you'll make it through. You'll make it through. God bless you. How many know it, it doesn't work like that? <laughs> Do you remember the first parable that Jesus taught, we call it the parable of the sower. I, I really honestly, can, can I just say, if you look, that's a man's editorial on the title of that passage. I, I don't like to, I, I, well, let me explain. I, I, I think it's worth noting and, and stating, as far as that's concerned, that in that parable, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the seed, okay? All the seed that had a chance to grow, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not even, well, it, it, it's not even a parable of the sower. What it is to me, it's the parable of the soil. Because when the seed fell on hard ground, it wouldn't, it couldn't grow. It's good seed, right? It's still good seed. And, 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 you know, the sower is good, but the soil was no good. Some, it says, fell on stony ground. Oh, take a look at it. We've got it right here in your notes anyways in this passage. 
And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and he sowed some on seed. He, he sowed some. He sowed <laughs> some, 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 some. We'll get there. I'm sorry. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell in rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among thorns, and thorns came up and choked them out. Yet each case, friend, there's nothing wrong with the seed. Then it gives the interpretation of the seed in, in verse 20. Now notice how this says it. I don't know if you've ever read it like this, but it says, the one on whom seed was sown. Did you notice that? The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This man is the man who hears the word of God and immediately receives it with joy. Oh, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yet he has no firm root in himself. He thinks he has a lot of faith, but he doesn't have it. But it's only temporary. And, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Let's, let's be real. How many have you seen come to, to the house, get impacted by the word, weep and cry at the altar, make that, and, and, and you, uh, we've seen him come through the house, and well, I'll get to it. And one of, uh, and the one on whom seed has, was sown among thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world, and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And, and if you go into Mark, I don't have it here, but in, in, in Mark chapter 4, he'll add and the cares of this life and the cares of this life, the pressures, the stresses. It just choked him. We've all seen it. I, I mean, there is nothing wrong with the word. The gospel is power. But the soil the heart that it is received into might not, well, might, might quite not be ready to, to receive it. And I'll say it again. We, we've, we've seen so many over the years that are, are, are brought to the house or brought to the altar or, or led to Christ. And, 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 you know, I've seen a lot of this. You know, I've been around a long time. And you just know that they're, 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 not, they're not going to really receive Christ today. They've gone through the motions, but, you know, they're, they're hit. They're, they're dazed. They're amazed. But the heart just doesn't seem to be prepared yet. I thank God that they step forward, and, I, and that's a step in the right direction. Amen. But that's when people with passionate, caring hearts, get hold of them. Give them a call. How you doing? And what those people do is they move the rocks out of the way. They'll get the thorns out. The word's good. The word is good, but the heart might not be as prepared yet. And thank God, it's still a step in the right direction. And so maybe two, maybe three services later, they'll make another walk down the aisle again. And this time, they're prepared. 
it just seems to continue, to be honest with you. It doesn't stop at just that point in our lives. I don't know about you, but even in my own life, I, I've received that word, right? But it seems like on certain occasions, it takes a gradualness to receive it. Paul was afraid, and he's like a, a, a mother hen in more than one way. There is kids, let's be real. And, and now he wants to move the rocks out of the way, and he knows that, that the sun is going to, you know, just heat down persecution on them, and he wants to, to, he wants to be there to be that, that shade in a weary land because that is his love. That's the love and the compassion that he has. The loving, caring, spiritual parent can actually bring a person from being on shallow, rocky soil to good soil. Understand that this parable is not an absolute just because when the word falls in your heart, it's a shallow heart. Doesn't mean that you stay there. If someone will move those rocks away, do something with the soil, right? How many of you here have little gardens that you you plant every year, right? You just buy your so most of you just go to the store and buy it all. That's great. But you know, I've had gardens in the past, right? And, and what do you do, man? You watch over them. You hover over them. You know, you, 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 you just take care of them. You, you know, you see the little sprout coming up, and you make sure that it's, the ground's a little broken, and you move the stone away so it becomes a healthy, you know. And, and, and the sense you get from that accomplishment, you know, you run in the house with that first little pickle saying, look, look at the cucumber, look at it. I'm sorry, I'm trying to create a picture here because Paul has no problem with the gospel and he knows that the gospel is the power of God. But he's like that spiritual parent who's hovering over his God. I, I gotta move that rock. I, I, I gotta work that soil. I gotta be there. I gotta be there. He said your faith is going to be tried and it's got to be tried. But I want to be there when it's being tried. I want to shore up your faith and make sure it's really working. And so we become a helper. We, that's what we do. We become helpers to one another's faith. This chapter, chapter 3, shows how that faith was helped through Paul. Look, look again at verse uh, 3 of chapter 3 in 1 Thessalonians. It says, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. saying I want to be there when you're being tried. That's why I'm so worried. Because I don't want any of you to be disturbed by these afflictions. In the Greek language, the word disturbed, now I don't have it in your notes because I want to describe it to you. The word disturbed comes from a pet shop. It was a word originally used especially for dogs. Okay? The word in the Greek means that the dog comes to you, right? And it not only just wags its tail, it's wagging its entire back end. It's excited. I, I have a dog that does that. His name's Jack. And when he comes up to me, you know, it's one thing for the tail, but when he, 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 he gets that whole back end going and he's moving, 
back and forth, and, and uh, Jack's not the most innocent dog in the world either. He's a little ornery. He's always looking for that little extra bit of food or snack or that he can steal. You know what I'm saying? That's the whole idea. And as soon as he gets done and you call him on it, there goes that back in again. And, and, and I'm saying that because it, you know, that's the meaning of the word in Greek. It came to mean, as it was developed in the language, someone who comes to you and fusses all over you and makes you feel really good while all the time what they're looking, what they're looking for is a snack or meat to steal. That's the idea. So you're being disturbed. What does that meaning or that translation, I mean, translating it in the whole idea in English, it means that when you're being tempted, when your faith is under trial, you'll never recognize it as the devil. It looks too much like Jack. The tail's wagging. I mean, how could such a suggestion be wrong? I mean, this isn't for mischief. Have you ever noticed that true temptation always makes you feel bigger or, or better? You, you're, you're, you broaden your life, so to speak, is what you think. Look, the devil never comes your way and says, okay, now we're going to go sin. No. It's always you're going to feel really good, you know. You're going to feel good about this. I mean, Peter calls the devil what? A roaring lion. But notice that he looks more like a kitten. I mean, how, so, how could such a cute little kitten harm me? That's the idea. Now, notice in verse 5 he says, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. You're saying maybe somebody wasn't there to take the rock out of the way. And now he's coming in, fussing all over you, saying, come on, I want to make you feel good. He said, guys, it's so dangerous because... It doesn't sound evil. It doesn't sound wrong at all. Sounds so nice. It's going to make me feel good. That's the picture that Paul is putting here concerning temptation. Look at uh, verse 2 again. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. He said there's pressure going on and you need strength. And you need encouragement. Strength here means support. It's not enough to have received the gospel. It's, it's, it's not enough to have this dramatic turnaround in our lives. I need support. It's what Paul was in this last chapter that we looked at. I must have someone to stand alongside me and help. The word encourage, strengthen, right? Encourage your faith. Strengthened by the way of exhortation. It's not that I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be there now. I'm doing some talking, is what he's saying. I'm, I'm going to exhort you. The original idea in the word is someone who has come along beside of. Sound familiar? 
In fact, it was used uh, to, I should say, describe the counsel for the defense. You're under pressure. Your faith is being tried. The dog is wagging its tail, and, and you're about to give in. And, and then another Christian is a counselor for your defense. And what they do is they come alongside you. And they hold you when you don't know where to go. And in the trying of your faith, they strengthen your faith. They're being the counsel for your defense. Of course, the ultimate meaning of the word, in fact, let me tell you what that word is in the Greek. You should recognize it from this past Sunday. It's the word paraclete. Paraclete. Translated, Holy Spirit, the comforter. That's the exact ultimate meaning where the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside and becomes our strength. What he's saying here now is he, paraclete, the ultimate comforter, and we in Christ, our comfort is that we have received and we pass it on with words and with presence. You become that. that that's, that's another word, comfort. When we use it in English, it, it's, it's almost like a, you know, going by and patting them on the head and saying, it's okay, it's okay. But, you know, that's, that's not the meaning of the word comfort. I mean, even our English word it comes from a Latin derivative of, of forte, comforte. Comfort in Latin means to fit one for the battle. Fit one for the battle. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stroke your head, okay? I'm, I'm going to stand beside you, be your strength, but fit you to fight yourself. Make you strong. That, that's the idea. And then in verse 10, it says, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. The word complete. It's used in the gospel to describe when the disciples were on the beach. It's not in your notes here, but I can give you the general. The word complete, it's the same word that's used with the disciples when they're mending their nets. Mending their nets is the word that's used here for complete. They were completing their nets. So when Paul says complete what is lacking in your faith, he said, I'm coming to mend your nets. If any of your life has been broken up by temptation, I'm coming to put it back together again is what Paul is saying, completed. Net menders. <laughs> restores to bring supply to what's missing. We all need that. Am I correct? Someone who comes alongside and binds us up again. We need to do it for each other. Hello? You are our net menders. We need to be net repairers, menders in other people's lives. And God says, and, and I ask the question, again, what's lacking? That might sound kind of negative saying, 
you know, like I'm saying to you, you don't have it all together. No, it's not that. It's the kind of words you would use if you were running, let's say, the Boston Marathon. <laughs> Ain't going to happen with me. But if you're running the Boston Marathon and you got that first mile behind you and you did great, the trouble is there's still 25 miles to go. You got a great start, but I don't want you to lag or come behind. How you started is the way I want you to go on. Paul said, as a spiritual parent, a father in Christ, I want to come and be that to you. I want to make sure you keep on going on. That's the idea. And of course, he says, there, was, there are afflictions. That is, these pressures in the world and the religious world would show them where they were lacking. The first mile's terrific. It's only when the pain begins to come, you suddenly realize, got 25 miles yet to go. And when the pressure comes on, that's what the Christian life is all about. That's why those who receive the, the word on stony ground, it says they received it with great joy. They hadn't even thought where it's going to take them. It's when the sun comes out that they realized, <laughs> I got 25 more miles. It's a big problem. I mean, let me ask, why couldn't Paul? For all his concern, for all of their need of their faith being shored up, for, for, for their comfort, their strength, their exhortation, all that. I mean, why couldn't Paul, why couldn't Paul go? Why, why couldn't he? I mean, surely all he has to do is, is pray, right? I mean, look at verse 18 in chapter 2. He says, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet, dun, 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 Satan hindered us. Oh, my. Satan hit, I, I thought the purposes of God was that these believers should be strengthened. Can, sen, can Satan hinder the purpose of God? Well, for now, just for now, I'll say yes. I said for now, but I'll come back to that. But for now, I'll, I'll say yes, he can hinder a purpose of God. Now, listen to me so that you know where I'm going on that. Paul has such desire to go and help the Thessalonians. It's the revealed purpose of God that that's how they should be strengthened. Yet Satan hindered. The word hindered or, or thwarted in the Greek is a word that's always used for guerrilla warfare. What it means is when the road has been blocked so the enemy can't get in, it's like it's, it's when a bridge has been blown up. It, it's always, it always has in it the idea that there is this advancing army and they're trying to get somewhere, but the guerrilla warfare makes it impossible for them. And as far as we can understand, it was those authorities back in Thessalonica that made sure that he didn't come back. And even if Paul ever thought he might come back, they made sure that he didn't make it back. So what I want us to do is get this perspective. 
Paul speaks very little about the devil. It's interesting, actually, to see what Paul meant in his teaching. There, there's very little mention of, of Paul, by Paul, I should say, of the devil. However, don't misunderstand me. The enemy's never ignored, and he's always looked upon with a, a certain kind of respect as one that has to be contended with. So you'll read in places like Ephesians chapter 2 that he's the prince of the power of the air. And then you also read in chapter 6 of Ephesians that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And it goes to, on to speak of what? Warfare. Standing against the powers of darkness and having done all what? Stand. So here is Paul, and one of the few times he's mentioning Satan. So here he has a love for these believers. The authorities are saying, no, he cannot come back. He, I want you to know that Paul is seeing beyond, I should say, he's seeing behind it all by saying Satan is hindering. I can look at the men in, in Thessalonica and say, they're not. No, 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 it's what's behind their they're nots. Well, you know, you can say, I, I, you know, okay, but isn't God in control? What, what do we have here? Someone that's bigger than God? That Satan can now stop God's purposes? First of all, let me establish this, affirm this, declare it, and I'll never waver from it. God is in control. And when I say that, I mean absolute control. But his control is holy control. You know what I mean? Do you know what the meaning of the word holy is? It simply means other. When I, when I say holy control here, I mean God is in control with a kind of control that is other than ours. If I was God, I would never let Satan hinder my message. <laughs> but when God is in control, it's another kind of control. Not like I would control. Not like any human would control. God has another way of doing things. Hello? God, God is in control. And even though Paul knew that God was in control, he still fretted, and he still worried, and he had anxiety as to why he couldn't get through. That comforts me. I don't know about you. I know God is in control, but sometimes life gets to me. So I fret and I worry, and I'm concerned. That's okay. Paul was like that too. God still loved him. Then, what's going on here? Well, number one, there was a greater purpose than Paul could see at that time. If Satan had not hindered the apostle, we would never have First and Second Thessalonians. So trust me, Satan has regretted hindering Paul ever since. Standing there in Corinth and, and knowing what's going on in Thessalonica, 
My heart's torn apart and I'm chomping at the bit. Why is God allowing Satan to hinder me? Well, there's a greater purpose, Paul, than you'll ever know. Oh, okay, fine, whatever. I'll just write him a note. He would have never written them a note if it were not for the hindering. God was in it. Satan was hindering. Satan was having a field day, and God let him and actively let him for greater purpose. Paul didn't know that. Paul didn't know that even when he died. And, you know, all he knew is that he was hindered in Corinth. And the greater purpose was already on its way. Of course, there was no other church in Macedonia that more prayed for, more cared for than the Thessalonians. If Satan had not hindered, they would have, for, well, they'd probably have just gotten general care. And, 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 but because they were hindered from getting to them, the whole of Paul's heart and his assistants and, and the other churches, are, are they're all alerted. We've got to pray for these people. They're in trouble. We've got to pray for them. And so suddenly they have this intensive care going on. If Satan is trying to destroy them, it's having a reverse effect. Hello? Nobody's being looked after more than this company of people. Never has a company been prayed for like that. I mean, we know more about the care that's given to, Thessal to the Thessalonians than any other church in the New Testament. And as it turned out, reading the epistle of Cor Corinthians, especially it's in 2 Corinthians, somewhere around chapter 8, just for, it basically says that there was no other Christians in the Macedonia area quite like the Thessalonians. They turned out to be the most brilliant, the most radiant, Christ-centered people in the entire area because in their beginnings, the whole Christian world began to pray for them. Awesome. Satan would have done better not to have hindered. In this way, he alerted the entire body of Christ. So what are we going to do? There is a greater purpose at work. I know it. I believe it. What do we do? do? Do I sit back and just praise God anyways? God's in control. Hallelujah. No. There's a greater purpose. The hindering is for some reason. I don't know it. I'll just sit back and I'll praise God anyways because, you know, that's the way it is. That is fatalism at its worst. Fatalism is not in the Bible, friend. So please, hear me very carefully. Paul knew that there was a greater purpose going on. But Paul does not sit back and say just, you know, well, I don't know what it is, but you know, it's, it's got to be what it is. Hey, sirrah, sirrah. Paul instead continues to what? Pray insistently that he should get through the barriers and get to Thessalonica. What I'm saying is, there is a greater purpose at work, but unless God has shown me what it is, it's none's my business. 
I must keep on acting to do what I know to do to be the revealed purpose of God until God shows me otherwise. Paul knows there is a greater purpose at work, but he goes back to God again and again, praying that he might get to Thessalonica. He does everything in his power to physically do that, and he doesn't take no for an answer until he gets no. A lot of people just accept life and let it roll all over. No, if God has not shown you what's going on, you act with the facts that you know. And you could say that 50 times. Paul knew fact number one, those converts needed help. Fact number two, God had given those converts to him. He ought to be there. That's the purpose of God. So I'll pray that to the end, and I'll try to get there even though I'm hindered. Do you, do you realize that God allows Satan to do something and some things, and, and, and he allows that with the intent of casting that thing down that is defeating Satan through his people who are in union with him through Jesus Christ. That's exciting to me when I think about it. God says to Satan, who's the highest spirit in, in the universe under God, he says, Satan, I'll, I'll give you permission to do thus and so. And with all the malignancy of evil itself, Satan comes to do that thing. And then God speaks to the heart of the child of God. He says, go cast down. Go cast that down in the name of Jesus. And so little frail mortal me joined to God through Jesus. I say, in the name of Jesus and Satan, the highest spirit in the universe is defeated by a little frail nothing like me who is something in Christ. God lets it happen so Satan can be defeated one more time. So Paul comes in prayer. He knows there's a higher purpose, but that's none of his business. God hasn't taught him what it is. So he prays what he knows. And as he prays, in verse 10, where, where, where he prays this, notice this. He says, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. The word that he uses there for praying, because I don't know if you realize there's two words in the Bible for prayer as far as the, the Greek. Our, our language only has one word for prayer. There are two words of, for prayer in the Greek. One, we would probably better call it devotion, praise, and worship. Because it's prayer in the sense of communion, in the sense of fellowship with God. Uh, I'm not asking for anything in that. I'm just, you know, just the delight, really, of being in God's presence. The other word which is used here is what we really understand by prayer. It means the feeling, the sensation of utter hopelessness, total helplessness. I come to God helpless. And I, I, I say, you do it, God. I'm done. 
So I, I, I now come with what you might call a burden. I'm bringing my needs to God. That's the word for prayer that he uses here. Now notice what he says here in verse 11, because in verse 11 he's praying now. He says, now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. You should notice in your Bible reading the things he says about God, or especially about the titles that he uses for Jesus. They're very important. But notice how he says that God himself. In other words, there's no human that can make our way clear to get to Thessalonica. No, no human can do it. So he says, okay, now I appeal to God himself. Make our way clear to Thessalonica. Utter helplessness. Total sense of need. I, I hang hopelessly on God himself. And notice he says, and Jesus our Lord. I find that interesting. He could have just said Jesus. He, he could have said, you know, Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ or even Lord Jesus Christ. All those are possibilities, but he says specifically, Jesus our Lord. Well, why the emphasis? Why the focusing in on our Lord? I think it goes back to what I said before, Matthew 28, when Jesus said that all authority is given to me. When was all authority given to him? When he ascended. Now he, as the man Jesus Christ, is declared Lord. God has control forever and ever eternally, infinity, but now the man, the man, God who took to himself our humanity became flesh among us. Now he is exalted. Now think about this. God in Jesus Christ, God took the full consciousness of humanity. That little baby in Mary's arms didn't know he was alive. You didn't know you were alive when, when you were first born, did you? No, nor did Jesus. Can and now remember, he's he's not God faking it as a man. He's into the full consciousness of man. Can you imagine? Let this blow your head for a minute. That eternal God didn't know where he was? Didn't know that he was there, I should say. He who is limitlessness has entered into limited. He who is infinite has taken on finity. He is a true baby. God entered into the full consciousness of humanity. Otherwise, it doesn't count. It's, it's not real. Now, in the resurrection, humanity has entered into the consciousness that he is the eternal God. And there was given to him a name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and confess that he is Lord. 
against God. And, and when he, the man, had received full authority, the name Lord, he turned to the disciples and, and really all of us and, and said, now all authority is given to me. Go. Go. All authority is given to me. God and humanity glorified. Therefore, go and teach all nations. It is because he is Lord, because Satan is cast down, therefore, you can go. If he wasn't Lord, we couldn't go. Not only would there be nothing to say, but it would, we couldn't get it out of our mouths. The spiritual powers are too strong against us. But he said, everything, everything has been defeated. I am Lord, therefore you can go and teach. In this prayer, when Paul stands strapped in Corinth, unable to do the job of teaching, the part of all nations that Jesus talked about, he appeals to God himself. There's nowhere else I can go. Uh, he is Jesus our Lord. And nobody can stop. Did, look, did, did, did Paul ever have his prayer answered? According to Acts chapter 20, in the first four verses, it would suggest he did. There came a day not too long after that he did get to Thessalonica. So God allowed Satan to hinder and in so doing tried their faith in so doing, achieved a far higher purpose in the writing of Thessalonians, the zeroing in on the prayers of God's saints for Thessalonica. Then when the greater purpose was fulfilled, he answered the prayer and Paul got there anyways. Now hold that in mind when you are faced with situations and you know that there is a spiritual guerrilla warfare that's going on. Understand, understand there is a higher purpose. But I say to you, please heed me. Don't get all carried away with thinking that I, I'm trying to find what it is. It's none of your business. If it was, God would have told you. Just understand it is going on. And it couldn't go on if you knew what it was. I mean, I mean, just seriously, can, can you imagine if Paul knew that he was writing the Word of God? Would, would you really ever get around to it? Oh, I, I, I better rewrite that. I, I just, you know, <laughs> you're going to make corrections kind of thing because it's not quite what I would, you know, kind of. So God keeps it secret. I'll write them a note. That's what I'll do. I'll write them a note. The Word of God happens. 90% of the time, a, a, a purpose of God is hidden for a good reason. If we knew about it, we'd probably mess the whole thing up. Please don't sit there and wonder what this higher purpose is. Just go in the name of Jesus. Pray to, the God, to God himself and, your, and remind yourself that Jesus is Lord, your, your purpose will be fulfilled and your prayer answered. Trying 
of your faith. And at the same time, dealing with hindrances and living with those hindrances. But whatever it is the Lord has spoken to you, whatever he has said to you, take it, live with it, and live it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Would you stand with me this evening? Lord, thank you again for your word, for what you're showing and teaching us. We come up with some really weird things when we come to that point of rebuking and resisting and coming up with ways to break through so we're not going through the uncomfortable, but we're living some comfortable life of no problems or no trials or no errors. Lord, may we be reminded life is full of them and that we are coming up against those pressures and stresses and that you are still in control. We are going to act on what we know to act on until you tell us different. You speak to our hearts. You're working a greater purpose. Something is taking place. Lord, continue to condition our heart for the good seed to take root and produce its fruit. Bless, I pray, continue to open the eyes of our understanding as we continue to look towards you, to be led by you, and to know your hand in our lives. Lord, I pray that right now we would recognize that you are at work, that you are bringing about your purpose. And while we might feel frustrated like things aren't working out the way that we think they should be working out, it doesn't stop us from trusting you and, 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 and realizing you and who knows, maybe writing a Thessalonians ourselves. So I pray, bear witness with our spirit. Speak to our hearts and our lives. Touch them, encourage them, strengthen them, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, give him praise. Just a quick reminder for those of you who might have walked in late, that Sunday we will have your Revelation book. We are calling it A Biblical and Historical Understanding of the Book of Revelations. So if you sign up for one, they'll be out there Sunday. Our folders don't come in until tomorrow. That's why we're letting you know now. Make sure you stop by to get yours that you signed up for. These altars are open, friend. If you want to find a place of prayer, they're open for you. But before you leave this place, would you turn to about three or four people and just greet them in the Lord. Amen? God bless you. Shutting this off.